Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame, or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi friends, I am so grateful you're here with us today for the Fully Restored Podcast. Before we jump into my interview with today's guest, I wanted to let you know that today's topic of discussion is a difficult one and a topic that is best listened to away from children's ears. These interviews in this series are powerful, transparent, and real, but also give so much hope for someone who's been abused. Please be mindful of your own triggers and know we are discussing these things to bring them to the light of Jesus and to help women find their own healing and hope. Thanks, friends. And now to my interview. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Michelle Allen, who has a powerful story of one who has found healing from those life difficulties where Others meant harm towards her, but God had a different plan for her life. She's overcome trauma and abuse, and her story shows how God brings beauty from the ashes and the broken places of our lives. And I am so grateful for Michelle's transparency and being brave to share her story today. Welcome, Michelle, to the Fully Restored Podcast. Thank you, Kristen. I'm glad to be here. Oh, it's an honor to have you here with us. You know, one of the things I love about my show is it's people that are out on the front lines, everyday people that are servants of God that tell their fully restored story. And really, that's what your life is, Michelle. So Michelle, tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do in your family. Well, I'm married to my wonderful husband, Norman. We've been married 26 years now. We have three daughters, four granddaughters. We don't do boys. <laughs> <laughs> our sons-in-law are wonderful, though. We, we love them. They're like our own. And we're involved in the church we attend. I'm credentialed through the Assembly of God. I do a podcast. I, I put it on my website, and I do put it on YouTube and on Facebook. And I also write a blog that's similar to what I put on the podcast. In church, I I teach kids sometimes in the children's ministry. I camp, I fish, I love doing art and love playing with my grandbabies. Oh, yes. Aren't grandbabies the best? They are the best, yes. Yeah, we have five and I just absolutely adore them. So, yeah, Michelle, I would like us just, let's just start with your story. I know there's a lot But can you take us back to your childhood and teen years and just share with us about that time in your life? Okay. Um, I was raised by my dad and mom. I've got two sisters and a brother. We grew up knowing about Jesus. I asked him into my heart at age seven, but we moved constantly. So every six months or so, we never finished school in the same one we started that year. So like every six months we were moving. I've lived in like 57 houses. Dad uh, drank a lot and he was very violent. 
One time he burned up everything in the house while we hid in a trailer outside. School was hard. Um, I was always the new one, bullied, spit on, beat up by the kids, sometimes in groups of kids, you know, gathered around jeering at me or whatever. So my young life was hard and very lonely. I, I desperately wanted friends. It was all I could think about. Uh, when I was 13, I answered a call for guests to be on a kid's evening show on a local TV station. And that just started something that I, you know, I found I was just in love with doing TV and radio. So I started doing internships in radio and TV, any, any chance I got, any that I heard about. And of course, this was the very early 80s. And I, we had the first audiovisual club in my high school where I went, very first one in the whole area. So I joined that and I, I just thoroughly enjoyed producing shows and stuff. And home life was still hard. And I, I think that's what drew me to the excitement of broadcasting. But at 15, my dad and I were in an argument. I don't even remember what about, but um, he grabbed me by the arm and he, he put me out of the house and he told me not to come back. I headed towards Seattle. That was the area we lived in. And I, I was on the streets. I, I don't know for how long. I remember a few things about it. But when I went, eventually went to work where I was interning, the supervisor there at the radio station where I was an intern, she offered for me to come and, and stay with her. And I did so. I was just desperate for, you know, love and affection and, and camaraderie, friendship. And, uh, you know, looking back now, I, we didn't have the term grooming or anything like that back then. But she started after a little while to have men over that worked there. And she invited them to um, do whatever they wanted with me. That was my first experience with sex was it was through that. It, it went on for maybe a year and a half. And I was back home and just very briefly and then back down to that life and went on for about a year and a half, like I said. And then she just abruptly told me that I was too old for this. And I needed to uh, go back home or, or wherever. And I did. I was just before I turned 17 and I, I uh, met my ex-husband. We both gave our hearts to Jesus. We started going to church. I got married a month before turning 18. And uh, unfortunately, he turned violent just a couple months after the wedding. I was back in the depths of despair, not feeling like I belonged or, or um, was worth anything. We had two daughters when my oldest was about six. We had changed churches too and, and uh, in an effort to kind of get some help with our, with our marriage, but it didn't work out. And when my oldest daughter was about six, I started noticing changes in her and discovered that he had been abusing her. I went to my pastors and we made a plan to get me and the kids away from him. My daughter had told me that if he found out that he would kill me. And so we escaped with the help of the church and they hid us for a few weeks till we could get restraining orders, everything in place. I was about 25 when he was finally gone. I went to college, started working as a TV producer at my church. My husband, Norman, he, he started volunteering in the TV department. We became friends. Later on down the line, when I was about 30 years old, we, we got married. And that's kind of the story in a nutshell up until the time that I started to really have to start dealing with things. So much that you went through, Michelle. And I just need to pause and say thank you 
for sharing with us because it's hard sharing our stories and and what we've been through. And here is somebody you trusted, somebody that you thought would take care of you, the supervisor. Yeah. And and then she used you, subjected you to all kinds of things. It just so shows some of the sickness out there in radio and television, right? Yeah, absolutely. That there was even, I'm just thinking, you know, to have these different people from work, these different men from work, and I'm thinking for them to even be a part of that, that it wasn't just her, there were multiple people. Yeah, yes, it was. And more than one person at a time. Yeah. It was It was a very different, and it, there was no talk of sex trafficking or or grooming, like I was saying. It just became the world that I was in. And in talking with her at times, she said, that's just what you have to do. This is how you get ahead in radio. It really made me not, not want to be in it anymore. But I did end up being able to use that those skills in, in TV at my church. And I, and I still use them today, of course. However, that's this is just how you do it. Well, you know, we can be the first one to stop it. We don't have to. You know, and she was an adult and you were a teenager and and really at a vulnerable place where you had nowhere to live and you didn't want to be on the streets. So that was very difficult, as well as fear of your dad, would you say, of going back home? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, The beatings were pretty severe. Yeah. And then getting into a marriage that was abusive as well. Yes, that that was I mean, the first time that he, he hit me, it was just really uh, you say a slap in the face, but it was just the reality that this, this was going to, this was me. This was my life. There wasn't anybody that I could trust. Well, and and I think about, Michelle, you know, for those of us that have experienced abuse in our life, there can be patterns of abuse, you know, where there's just not one abuse experience, but multiple abuse experiences. And there's multiple reasons So here you are, you escape from your husband, you and your kids escape with the help of your church. You know, you shared with us about the abuse and trafficking that happened as you were growing up. When was that fully restored moment? I think you said you were, how old were you when you left your husband? I was thinking it was 25 or 26. So could you share with us your fully restored story? Like, what was that journey of finding healing from the abuse you experienced and your journey with Jesus? What was that like for you? Well, when I, when I first escaped from my husband, I just kind of went, you know, it's going to be me and the girls. I'm going to focus on, on Jesus, and, and I'm going to focus on my kids raising them. <clears throat> Boy, I, I became like an, I don't want to say an icon, but they, they kind of made an example of, you know, of me in church of how, this is how you do it. This is how you get away from abuse and you live successfully. And they didn't give me a, a whole lot of opportunity to deal with anything that had happened. And I started speaking about it in church and really giving God the glory that I escaped and that he was my husband and and that he had picked me up. But I didn't see it as a part of the whole story of abuse throughout my life. I kind of just started moving on and, and never, still never dealt with it, any anything. And when I married my husband, Norman, there over the, over the first couple of years, there was such 
a letdown into safety that it's hard to explain it, but I kind of picture it like when you hug somebody who's been hurt and they just kind of start shaking and and slowly relax into your arms. For me, that took a couple years to realize that I was I was married to someone who was safe and uh, that my kids were safe. My oldest daughter, she did a Father's Day presentation at church for Norman. She said that he filled all the holes that her biological dad had left. That really, really was so healing for me to know that my kids were going to grow up with a dad that really loved them and was going to treat them right. And, and he certainly has. We, have, we had our own daughter as well. And there's never been, looking back, there's never been a step parenting thing. They, he took them on as his own and they took him on as their own. It really provided an opportunity for me to relax. And of course, when I relaxed, then all this other stuff started coming up. And it seemed like I was just anxious all the time, afraid of everything. I didn't want to be away from Norman. I would cry for days if he had to go away for business or, you know, or even going to church. I didn't want to be away from him. So I kind of started isolating myself. And uh, I was working as a children's pastor. The kids in the church, when they lost their children's pastor, they asked me to be their children's pastor. I agreed to it. Along about that time also, I was working also as as a teacher, teaching in um, one of the school district's um, community programs. And uh, I was working at a retail location. So all told, it it, it started to become when a, work, a co-worker was injured, that I started working 70 or 80 hours a week and trying to keep it all together. And I had started talking to someone because it was I was just in despair all the time, just roiling inside me. And I had tried over the years to talk to someone about it, but they just kind of brushed me off like, you're fine. You've done so well. Don't, don't worry about all this. But it just kept coming back year after year. There would be this I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. I'm, this is all going to fall apart. I think the Lord allowed a perfect storm to be created in my life. My oldest daughter went off to the military. My dad started showing up unannounced to my house, to my work, and I would get calls in the middle of the night. So I started not sleeping because my daughter was calling me before she'd go into a mission. She was in combat, and it was, it was really scary for me to be concerned about her. And uh, I started not sleeping. And so it took about a month and I had a, a massive uh, panic attack and I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know psychological terms or anything. I just knew that I, I thought I was going to die. I went home and I, I took a bunch of sleeping pills and stuff to, to try to get some sleep. And I ended up in the hospital. And looking back, I know that I, I had really wanted to get to Jesus, because that's it seemed like the only place where there was going to be peace was in heaven. But it started a road to recovery, that whole perfect storm. And I was in the hospital, I think, six times. And it seemed to get longer each time, because what they discovered about me uh, was that I was dissociating. When an event would happen, I would be what they called triggered, and I would go inside my own head and I would stay there. I could go around town and end up somewhere where I didn't know where I was. Just kind of stop communicating, not hear. Like I could hear sounds around me, but they were distant and I couldn't communicate with anybody. And so I would go back in the hospital because they couldn't get me to snap out or whatever. And I would not remember a lot of stuff. So it took a lot of hospital stays to finally get me where I started trusting the people and um, staying present through 
all the groups and art therapy and music and all that. Slowly, I started learning skills that the breathing, especially. I got out of the hospital the last time in 2012, and I started doing groups through my health provider, one after the other, depression and anxiety, self-care, dialectical behavior therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, emotion regulation, which kind of combined those two and acceptance and commitment therapy. I would do each group for about an entire year, do it over and over again. And when I was starting the groups, I would have my hood over my head. I couldn't look at anybody. I just sat there and sobbed for the first go around of the group. It was so incredibly difficult to be in a place of of vulnerability. But I kept going. I kept moving forward. I kept going in the groups. And eventually I I was able to to look at people and see the group around me. And, and, you know, it helped to just sit there and listen to their stories because I found that I did have kindred in trauma, that other people went through horrible things. It made it possible for me to see myself as part of, of something else besides just me suffering alone. Michelle, I so appreciate you talking about that. And I, as you're talking about everything, I'm, I was thinking, what an example of um, complex trauma. Because mm-hmm. complex trauma is when you have multiple traumatic experiences. It's not just one. And, and I didn't get that the diagnosis until 2015. Well, they didn't really come up with a term that complex trauma is a newer term. So, or a newer diagnosis, I guess, in, in the, mo- the most recent diagnostic book, complex trauma is in there. And so not that there wasn't complex trauma before, but so it's become a more common diagnosis now for those who have experienced it. But as you were talking about everything, safety and security are extremely um, big for trauma when you've experienced abuse ongoing abuse, and you've experienced multiple ongoing abuse scenarios, situations. So then when you start to feel safe, then stuff starts coming up. Your daughter goes into the military and she's in combat. So everything, all of a sudden, we're tense again. We're in survival mode again. And then that was when emotionally it was just too much for you. Yeah. And I had heard from the person I was talking about, you got to let one of these things go. You're going you're gonna to break down. No, no, I, I, you know, people are counting on me. I, I, I don't know which one, you know, to let go. And I just kept plugging away, with, away at it my own way. Of course, I really did need to, to have a break to make me see how serious it was. But yeah, the, uh, the perfect storm happened. And, and it happened at church with the kids. The kids just, the first time I went back to church, they just all immediately surrounded me, hugging me and crying. Boy, there's just something about kids and their honesty and and honest love of a person. And that's what you needed, was you needed that love and that honest, pure, I I talk about the difference between pure love and um, distorted love. That was pure love from those children. They didn't have a motive. There was nothing hidden behind they truly missed you and they love you. Yeah. And it never ended up that I could go back because the healing took so long. The, uh, the pastor of that church eventually retired and, and the church kind of dissolved. And we ended up at a new church. It started that whole thing all over again of being new 
and not knowing where to fit in and having this huge pack I was carrying on my back of this, the weight of this trauma, I guess, and, and healing that I was going through. And boy, they, the pastors, they are huggers. Previously in church, when I would say, you know, I'm, I just, I'm not comfortable with hugging, hugging you. And, you know, oh, well, you just get over it. We're huggers here, you know. We have to hug. That's what God wants. But for me, physical touch was just incredibly paralyzing. And so at this new church, which we started at in 2016, I finally got up the nerve to go and talk to the pastor. I shared with him my story, and he didn't say to me, well, you got to get over it. Mm-hmm. He yeah. said, I want to walk through this journey with you, wherever it takes you and whatever you decide to do with it. I want to walk through that with you. It allowed for another place of safety where if I didn't want to be touched, I didn't have to. And I started fist bumping and elbow knocking with the pastors and I could come into church and gosh, I'm sorry. You know what, Michelle, I am crying with you right now. I am tearing up with you because I'm thinking, you know, how often our love language we put on other people but we don't understand their story. We don't know what a touch has meant to them in the past. And we tell people, just we just kind of brush off people's feelings and tell them, oh, well, we're huggers here. Get over it. But the truth is, it wasn't just about not liking a hug. It was all that it was associated with. And to have this pastor say, hey, I'm going to walk with you through this. And not tell you, come on, get over it. How life-changing that must have been. Oh, incredibly. And and even now, you know, and I share something with him. He'll say, boy, I just, I just want to really hug you right now. And it's my choice. If I say, yeah, I'll, I'll take a hug or how about a high five? It's the, the whole journey from that point, though, became one of, of being a children's pastor in an independent denomination. And then finishing my my Bible degree and becoming ordained, but then also transferring those credentials over to the Assembly of God under under his coaching and mentoring brought a new um, level of opportunity, I guess, for ministry and, and belonging. Mm, I like that. Not just ministry, but for belonging. And it's been a challenge. I'll, I'll tell you, I you read everything with a an injured mind, you read everything based on what you learned growing up. Well, they didn't talk to me about this or didn't invite me to that because they don't like me. And I allowed God to, to, to really, I wanted to change my core beliefs. And I knew it even back in the early 2000s that that is what needed to happen. I thought of myself as not belonging, not having worth, a piece of garbage like my ex-husband called me. I knew that I had to find a way to do it, to change it. I just didn't know how. Quoting scripture at it and going through all those motions just didn't, it didn't last because a a few months later, I'd be back in despair and I'm going to be found out. I'm a fraud. I'm fake. And apparently that's one of the symptoms of complex trauma, but I didn't know it. And I begged God, just take this away. But he kept saying to me, you've got to go through the valley of the shadow of death. There is no way around it for you. And uh, finally, I said, Lord, whatever it takes. And I thought about the possibilities, ending up in a mental hospital, 
being seen as a fraud. I thought about all of it. Uh, and I said, no matter what, Lord, I have to find a way through this to rebuild myself. Take me apart. And uh, I didn't remember that until just a couple of years ago. But um, it took a long time. But it's been worth it. Well, and Michelle, you did you did a couple of things. And I I feel like that's really one of the main messages of this today is outside of your story and and how God has restored you is you prayed but you also did the work. You know, often, you know, for those that have listened to my show in the past, they know that I come from trauma and abuse. My story was sexual abuse um, multiple times and being held against my will um, one night and um, continually raped throughout the night. Those are just a couple of the instances there were, you know, as like your story, there's multiple abuse that happens after that. And I have had people, my spiritual dad would always say, you know, Kristen, he was a police officer and he'd always say, I've worked with a lot of knuckleheads <laughs> that have been through, he was a cop, I've worked with a lot of knuckleheads, a lot of people that have been through some of the things you've been through. Why are you different? What is different? And I, and I would always say, well, I prayed, I invited God in. And he said, no, it's more than that. People will pray. And it was through conversation, I realized, well, I didn't just pray, I did the work as you did too. We both prayed, we did the work, we allowed God to do the work in us. And here you are on the other side. Do we still get triggered? Yeah, we do, oh, right? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just knowing what to do with a trigger. And I always talk about, you know, our triggers, trauma hijacks us. So we're doing one thing and then all of a sudden a memory, a thought, a smell or something comes, something we see and it boom, takes us over, hijacks us to the past. And we just learn ways to not let it do that to us anymore. You know, right. so we're at least not for very long, not for very long. Yeah. It may be for a second compared to days, hours, days, weeks, months, you know, where that would be in the past. But what a, a beautiful story of restoration that God has done in your life. And um, I am so glad that you found that pastor in that church. Oh, I am too. Because they understood. And I think often in the church, we don't get it. I'm very passionate about educating the church on trauma. In fact, I go in and I'll teach in a church, you know, this is what you do with um, those individuals you work with that have experienced trauma. Because we need to have a different mindset. Not everybody grew up in a healthy family. Mm-mm. And we we react and do things because of the trauma that we experienced. And the church, to love people, we need to understand their shoes. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the, one of the biggest things. For me, I had to go back and try to understand what Jesus went through and what made his sacrifice important. I was kind of drawn to the Garden of Gethsemane and his experience there. And I mean, when you study that out and it, it, it talks about Jesus being at the point of death, he, he wanted to die because the pressure and the stress of what was facing him was so intense. He was unable to bear it in himself. Angels came and ministered to him. 
his blood was separating into into its parts. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he went through all of that. But the pressure of the anxiety and, and what he was facing was was incredible. When we go through flashbacks and stuff, we're facing that again. And Jesus understands that. That helps us. The Garden of Gethsemane helps us to know that Jesus faced wanting to die because of the pressure in his life. He didn't want to kill himself. But a lot of times people will say to me when they're struggling, I, it's not that I want to kill myself, but I just, I don't want to be here anymore. That's the way I felt. And it, the Garden of Gethsemane kind of painted that type of picture. Nobody could really understand what he was going through. But he went to the cross and he died and he rose again. And uh, when we come to that place where we're standing at the foot of the cross and we're identifying with him, I had a dream just um, uh, about a year ago that just made perfect sense and kind of tied everything together with identifying with others. And I saw myself at the foot of the cross. I kind of sensed the presence of other people and I looked to my right and to my left and the people that had hurt me were there shoulder to shoulder with me at the cross, watching Jesus die for us. And I realized when I woke up that he died for the sin of rape. He died for those people's sin that hurt me so that I could be healed. He had to take on those horrible things that they did to me onto his own body so that he could heal me and so that he could forgive them. And that has allowed me to see them as people who need Jesus and not as people who were worse than me because I didn't hurt anybody. And, and I wasn't better than them because I hadn't. Does that make sense? We, we were equal before Jesus. Yeah. And that's allowed grace to come out a little bit more. And it's left me with no regrets about anything that happened to me. And, you know, in the last minute that we have here, Michelle, I'm thinking as you were talking about, as you first started talking about Jesus and Gethsemane, I was thinking, well, the weight was the sin and the weight of what happened to us and um, for our healing. And then you went on to say that. So I'm so appreciative that you shared that. And I wish, Michelle, we could talk because I, for longer, because I feel there's so much more to your story. I, I'm just so grateful. Well, you'll um, have to have me back. Yeah. I'm so grateful for what you have shared. How can, in the, in real quickly, in our last minute that we have here, how can people connect with you online? Well, I have a website, crackedpot.me. There's no E in cracked. So C R A C K D pot.me. And they'll find my blog writings and the videos that I've done through my podcast there, as well as the same name on YouTube and Facebook. They can look me up there under Cracked Pot. Well, thank you, Michelle, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love or kristenklaus.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. And I would appreciate it if you would leave a rating or a review as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. People look to those ratings and reviews when they're looking for a new show to listen to. I would love to stay connected with you. You can find me both on Instagram and my Facebook page. Those are at author Kristen Klaus. I pray that this episode of the Fully Restored podcast ministered to you, encouraged you, 
gave you some insight whether you are a leader working with others or whether you are somebody that has walked the path that Michelle has walked, that you too can be restored and you too can walk out into healing no matter what you have faced. As Michelle shared her story of all that she faced over the years, as well as the mental health um, struggles that she had as an adult. And remember friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.